Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, What is Sin? I remember as a child growing up in the uh, Baptist church where the uh, pastor, the preacher, he would give a very fiery sermon about sin. Also about hell as the consequences of sin. He would say things like, some of you are out there drinking. You're going to dance halls. You're not reading your Bible. You're playing cards. You're not coming to church. You're whistling at girls. Bringing up a whole lot of things that probably hit upon many that were sitting there. That's because it seemed like the preacher was paying attention to a very important scripture. Found in Isaiah where it says to cry aloud, spare not, and tell my people their sins. And he did that in order to reach out to not only converts, but also to those whose lives need to be rededicated to God. And so I saw many walk down what they say, you know, the sawdust trail to confess their sins or just to sit there and wait for counseling from the minister to give their hearts to the Lord. Some were baptized and when I was 12, I was baptized too in a big pond behind the church. So <clears throat> why this sermon? Because over time we tend to forget some of the things that we've learned in church. Maybe three little three letter words like sin. And why is it that we are here anyway but to hear the word of God in order to not only instruct us but to correct us but to keep us on the path of salvation because it is very easy to go astray and forget Christ whose light we follow and whose word we follow. Sin is a, as we know, a really religious sounding word usually heard in a church setting and seldom in a, you know, a daily conversation, everyday conversation. It's also a word that conveys the idea that there is a being, that there is a God in whom some do not believe or, or care to think about as the, the lawgiver. But whether one believes in God or not, is a personal, the personal act of sin is something that is very self-destructive to our personal lives and it is also a detriment to the lives of others. There in the handout that you have, very familiar scripture that some of you already have memorized as to what sin is. Sin simply means law-breaking or wrongdoing. The Bible tells us here that sin is the transgression of the law. And in Romans 3, 23, we read where it says that all have sin. That includes me, that includes you. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and make God a liar. 
You know, every child, every adult has a sinful nature. Verse 9 of 1 John chapter 8, or 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, as stated earlier, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I would like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I don't have this down on uh, the uh, handout there. But Ephesians chapter 2. It touches upon our sinful nature. In verse 1 begin there. You has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And so we wonder why things go wrong in our society and among people today. We see that there is this spirit that is in the air. This spirit that pervades every facet of society in different ways. It lulls us in to thinking, well, everybody does it. Everybody does sin. But this is what's working in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. So sin, simply defined, is the transgression of the law, as, as the word of God tells us. To transgress means to step across. It means to go beyond the limits that are set by moral principles of society, of, of, of the country, all the standards of uh, civilized society. And we know that laws are there for the protection of, of people and their property. And they also include penalties to deter and, and uh, punish lawbreakers. So when a motorist, you know, ex, you know, simple example, when a motorist exceeds the speed limit and he's pulled over, you know, the penalty is a fine. And more so if he or she has exceeded the blood alcohol limit while driving. Now, according to statistics, I read this the other night. This is from 2016 by the FBI and the Department of Justice. In 2016, a murder occurred every half hour and a rape every four minutes, a robbery every 1.6 minutes, a motor vehicle is stolen every 41.3 seconds, and a burglary every 20.9 seconds. So indeed, we do live in perilous times, and you know that scripture, I, I use it quite often when I, I give a message that's found in 2 Timothy 2 about uh, uh, perilous times. But we know that the laws of God are good, that they are just, and they're there for our protection and for our benefit and for our life. That's in Romans 7:12. I won't go there, but 
It says there how we are to look at the laws of God that prevent us from sin. That they are good. That they are just. Now we know that there are not only laws that are against such deeds as lying and stealing and murder and robbery. There are also moral laws against coveting and against adultery and greed which are spiritual laws that govern inner happiness that governs inner peace and trust among people and families and they bring blessings if we obey the word of God and we also know from Deuteronomy that there are also cursings if we do not look to obey the will of God so in fact the laws of man they're based on the Ten Commandments which are found in Exodus 20. So therefore sin as it says in Psalms 51 uh, 4 that sin is against God. I want to turn there to Psalm 54. I want to read that part. Psalm 51, not 54, Psalm 51. It says, this is a prayer of David for cleansing. He said, have mercy upon me, O God. So we know that this is a prayer, a heartfelt prayer to the Lord, to the eternal. According to your loving kindness. You know, have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness. According unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out all my transgressions. So we see that transgressions can be forgiven because we know that God is merciful. And he said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know, reading about David, you know that he had a lot of sins. But he trusted in the loving mercy and the kindness of God to forgive. And he says in verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And on down, you can read the rest of that where he uh, asked God to purge him, to cleanse him, and to forgive his sin. We know this is important. This prayer of, uh, for forgiveness is important because sin is against God. And because the wages of sin is death. We read in Ezekiel 18.4 it says that the soul that sins it shall die. So that fate again is reiterated over in the New Testament where it says. Where the Apostle Paul said the wages of sin is death. So in regard to what laws, some may ask, well, what, what laws is referring to? The Apostle Paul said, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, you shall not covet. Over in Romans chapter 7. So he was referring to a scripture that is found as one of those 
Ten Commandments. In Psalm 119, 172, it says that all thy commandments are righteousness. And so all unrighteousness then is sin. And if you will enter into life, Jesus said, keep the commandments. And hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. However, in John chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, it says, He that says, I know him, but keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So keeping the commandments shows love toward Christ. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. So when one, one loves God and does righteousness, love is shown toward God, toward Christ, and to all the children of God. So the commandments are not grievous or burdensome as some, some want to look at it that way because we know that the law is holy. The commandment is good and just. But many think that Jesus did away with the law. They say it nailed it to the cross because it was a burden, because it was grievous, that no one could really obey it without uh, sinning. So if that were true, if his grace does away with the keeping of the commandments, if that were true, then it would be okay to murder, to rob, to steal, and to commit adultery, and to do other things that are contrary to the law of God. However, as, as we know, the only commandment that uh, a lot of churches today, what they preach against, is the keeping of the Sabbath. They keep, you know, the man-made tradition of, of Sunday, which is the first day of the week, which, of course, is another topic. And Jesus said, don't think that I came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it, to fill it up. And we see how he did this. He said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So as we look at the Ten Commandments and we think, a, we try to evaluate well, which one is of these is the least. If you break even the least commandments you shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's in Matthew chapter 5. I don't, probably forgot to mention that. So we know that Christ came to enlighten the law, saying not only is it a sin to transgress the law, but also to harbor those thoughts of unrighteousness in the mind and in the heart. And he said, I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, you've heard that it was said that you shall not kill, and whosoever shall, be in, whosoever shall kill 
shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, you know, it means like empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, you fool, which is to say dull or stupid, shall be in danger of hell fire, which is, you know, Gehenna, the uh, age-ending fire in which sinners are cast. Matthew 5, verses 20 through 22. So sin begins in the mind with thoughts that are contrary to righteousness and the right attitude. When one insults or demeans another, they're taken, called into court for perhaps something like defamation. But when full-blown, all those thoughts that enter the mind as far in regard to uh, sinful thoughts, it will lead to literal murder and into hell, fire, come judgment day. So not only is it wrong to commit the unrighteous act, but to also harbor unrighteous thoughts, for they give rise to sin. We know from Romans 7, 14, that the law is spiritual. And we also know that we are also slaves to sin. It's not in our human nature to always be perfect. And as scripture says, there is none righteous, because all have sinned and fallen short of God's righteous character. The Apostle Paul, he recognized this struggle. And I'm sure we have too at times. This struggle that, you know, you want to do good, but then something comes along and it, it changes us to another direction, to another path. He said in Romans 7, 18 and 19, he said, for I know that in me, that is in his flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would not that I do. Have you ever looked at that in, your, our, in our own life? To know to do good but just didn't have the strength or the power or the understanding to do it. To do what is right. Because evil is always with us. And it wars against us. You know, in, in Europe where they have the big cathedrals, these places that, you know, vertically point toward heaven, very massive structures. And at the very top of these uh, uh, Gothic structures, these cathedrals, they have these, uh, these uh, demon-looking figures that look over the, uh, uh, the uh, I want to say drain pipe, but, the edge of the roof. But in a way, they did act as drains. You know, sometimes the water would spill out of their mouth. And, and you would think, why would a Christian church or someone that professes Christianity want to put these ugly-looking, uh, demon-looking things on the edge of a, uh, of a church cathedral? It, they were put there in order to remind the people who looked up that evil is always present. Evil is always present. So Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, the body of this death? And then he says, I thank God 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, is the law then a curse as some think because you can't obey it and it's always a struggle to do what is right? And does it mean as some think that we should not obey the law? According to Romans chapter 3, verse 31, the Apostle Paul answered, he said, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin? How shall we live any longer therein? Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, he said. We establish the law. So unless repented of, sin incurs an automatic death penalty. Romans uh, 6.23. In Luke chapter 13, verse 1, there were present at that season some that told him, that, that is Jesus, some told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering them said unto them, Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Sometimes there, I guess there is this tendency that some may think, well, you know, maybe they deserve what they, what they were getting. But here were these Galilean worshipers offering sacrifices in the temple when Roman soldiers barged in and massacred them. Does that mean that they were sinners and got what they deserved? Verse 3, I tell you nay. Nay, nay, nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So we see when we look at the word sin, we also, it is connected to uh, the good news of repentance. In verse 4, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You shall all likewise perish if you don't repent. So what these events tell us that happened in those days, Jesus says, is that there is a, the pending uh, fate of death that can be avoided through repentance from sin and turning to God. So repentance, we see, is the key to salvation. It means a sincere change of heart and mind toward walking in God's spirit. Verse 6, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I don't find any. Cut it down. Why cumbers it the ground? And he answering said unto them, Lord, let it alone this year, till I shall dig about it and dung it, fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that you, then after that you shall cut it down. So here we see the patience and the mercy of Christ, of God the Father. As dresser of the vineyard, he digs about the plant to give it a chance for life. 
And so we can put ourselves in the position of this plant. Not really bearing fruit. But also knowing that God's mercy will try to see that we begin to bear fruit. By digging uh, about it. Fertilizing it. And that way we see the merciful love and forbearance. We also see the severity of God. For if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, you shall cut it down. We know that through Jesus, that there is a death decree for sin. Which can be removed by accepting his sacrifice as the payment for our deliverance from sin and, and from sin's uh, penalty. He died in our place and he reconciled us to God. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life can be lost if we forget all about it. We forget what sin is defined as. And if we go along with sin in our life. Or transgressing the law in our life. In Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah, there we are told. Isaiah 1. Let's look at verse 16, chapter 1. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So we know that no matter what sin there may be in our life, once we turn to Christ, accept his sacrifice, that our sins can be forgiven. That all sins are forgiven. In Mark chapter. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. It says. Verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated. And enemies in your mind. By wicked works. Yet now. Has he reconciled. In the body of his flesh. Through death. Present you blameless and unreprovable in his sight. So you know there is a time when you know, our minds were really drastically opposite the will of God. Thinking bad things, doing bad things. According to you know uh, the flesh, the wicked works that we have. But now we ha are presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. But here is what we need to remember. It says, if, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, the good news that repentance and salvation and future hope 
has for us. In Acts 2.28, you know it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit is that token of eternal life that will be rewarded if we hold true and fast to our confession of faith. And then it says, I think this is in Romans uh, chapter 6. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let, it, don't let sin rule in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as instruments of righteousness unto God. Doing the right thing in life sometimes, you know, we know it can be a struggle. But in those cases, you have to remember that we are instruments of righteousness. So once forgiven upon accepting the sacrifice of Christ, it does not mean, like some say, once saved, always saved. In Romans there in chapter 6, there in verse 11, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. But now being made free from sin and become servants of, to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This phrase where it says, we are not under the law, but under grace. That means that the death penalty does not hang over us. And we are under grace as long as we remain servants of righteousness. In Matthew chapter 24. There in verse. Uh, beginning verse 11. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, and so read, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So we must follow Jesus. Follow his words of prophecy. His words of exhortation. His law of love. And that good news of salvation. To avoid sin and be caught up in the tribulation that is to come. In Matthew 22. 36 through 40. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
So as we look into these Ten Commandments that, that uh, are the righteous way that makes us servants unto righteousness. The Ten Commandments and you know a person could take each one of those commandments and, and make a message, evolve a message from them. But let's look at these first four. And if, if this is in Exodus chapter 20. Verses 3 through 17. First one it says. You shall have no other gods before me. These are false gods. We're not to admire them. For their power or their character. Because you know they're, they're just falsehoods. They're mythological. They're not the real God. In verse. In, in the second commandment is. You shall not make unto you any graven image. You know something that is physical. Like maybe stone or metal. Or some other uh, a physical thing. And then look upon it. And admire it. And bow down and worship toward it. And in verse 3. Uh, not verse 3. But the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. That is. Don't claim to be a Christian. When doing things. Opposite his will. And therefore sully. The reputation or the good name. Uh, of the Lord. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And five, to honor your father and your mother. And some of us who may not have fathers and mothers, there are some things in life that they have left to us to cherish. Sayings that they used to uh, say to uh, guide us through life. To honor their memory by remembering those things, the good things that they want us to do. And to, look, and to have hope. My mother, for example, used to say uh, about every day, it seemed like, when I was just a child, she would say, tomorrow's going to be a pretty day. And meaning that, you know, there's a resurrection to come. And it will be a pretty day. The uh, next one, you shall not kill. That is, you shall, not, shall do no murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. You know when a person covets they want things that they can't have. And they sometimes will resort to violence like robbery. Or uh, stealing. Things like that. Coveting can lead into various crimes. So those are in Exodus chapter 20. So these commandments we know they're again repeated. In the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13. It says to owe no man anything. But to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this. You shall not commit adultery. You know sometimes this is. Uh, uh, one of the major things that causes divorce in families. Breakup of children and so on. You shall not kill. Because associated with kill. You know there's anger. You shall not kill. Because even if you think it in your mind. And you're angry in your mind. It could lead to murder. You shall not steal. You shall not lie or bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment. It is briefly comprehended. Or understood in this saying. Namely. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill. To his neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Fine, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. As I was saying, in the early days of sort of growing up in the church, even though there were certain doctrines that I believed in but changed because of the, in, in the light of God's word, and because these ministers, these preachers are really fiery at times, and even though in this church uh, I heard the, the sermons preached in, in the Creek or the Mus Muscogee language, language, I didn't understand, but I could tell from their tone and from their voice that as they looked at the, at, at the people there, that they were really meaning what they said. Sometimes in our life, familiarity can breed contempt. You've heard it, you've seen it, you've done it. You know what sin is all about. You know that we should avoid sin. But some of us can have a tendency to forget that we have an everlasting life as a reward for uh, following Jesus Christ. As in that first message, you know, follow Christ. Instead of following our own lust, our own carnal nature, or, or our own sinful thoughts. 1 John chapter 1, and then we'll close. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. So Jesus is the word of life that the apostles at that time were able to touch, to hear, to be around. Today, it's only through the experience of reading the word of God that we can draw close to him and believe in his words, that they are true, that they have meaning, and that they are the words of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested, or shown to us. That which we have seen, and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is a message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him. But walk in darkness. We lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light. As he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin.